the Rangers offense is starting to connect the dots and will soon add another weapon. Vitaly Kravtsov practiced with the team for the first time on Wednesday and should be in the lineup relatively soon. We'll discuss the highly touted 21-year-old prospect, what he'll bring to the Blue Shirts, and dive into Mika Zibanejad's resurgence as the post Larry Brooks drops by. And our special guest this week is former Ranger Pete Stempkowski. Plus, we hear from you, the listeners, and you got mail next on Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. So up in the Blue Seats podcast, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts, but we love your ratings. We love your reviews. Give us that five stars. Write something nice about Molly and Ron. We appreciate your support. You can do that in Apple Podcasts. Larry Brooks will join us in his weekly spot later on the show. We will play your voicemails as well. The fans called in and let their thoughts be known. So we're excited to hear from you. We'll also be joined by former Ranger and part-time radio analyst, Pete Stemkowski. But now, here they are, your stars of the show. She was a shooting guard in high school. She hails from New Jersey. It's the New York Post, Molly Walker. And you remember him from the Rangers of the 70s and 80s. It's number 10, Ron Duguay. Hi, everyone. Yes, it's another week, and it's been a good week with the Rangers winning back-to-back, beating Washington, then beating Buffalo, a game that they needed to win, but it's how they won, playing really well defensively. And so tonight, going against the Flyers, I remember back when we would beat them, that next game would be, oh my goodness, What's going to happen? So the anticipation going into tonight's game is I believe the Rangers are going to keep doing what they're doing, playing solid defensive hockey. They're going to get good goaltending. And yes, Shiskirkin is back in net. So we're looking forward to that. And my guest today, a good friend, a friend of the New York Ranger family, Pete Stemkowski. I've known him for a long time. Back in 1977, when I came to the Rangers, I replaced him. But he was a man I got to know. And this man is full of stories. He's a guy that does radio part-time for the New York Rangers. But he's going to be on today talking Ranger hockey, talking 70s, talking what it was like. We'll just let him go. But right now, my co-host, Molly Walker. So, Molly Vitaly is back. He's here. He's in New York. What's up with him? Give me the latest on when we expect to see Vitaly. So you're on a you're on a first name basis with Vitaly now, or is it just because he can't pronounce his last name? What is his last name? <laughs> Kravtsov. <laughs> we said it a couple of times, still couldn't get it. So we're just gonna go with a first name basis for Ron here. But yes, Vitaly Kravtsov cleared COVID-19 protocol. He had his co- cardiac screening on Monday and he practiced with the extras on Tuesday. And then he was with the full group on Wednesday for the first time this season. He did play with the team when they were in the expanded playoffs 2019-20 playoffs in the Toronto bubble he didn't play but he was part of the expanded roster so he is somewhat familiar with the team which is a good thing a nice head start for him but it's very exciting this is a top six talent for sure he had 16 goals and eight assists in 49 games and this 
season in the KHL, and he added two goals and two assists in five playoff matches. But Chris Nabalok talked about how Kravtsov had his heart set on being with the Rangers last year when he was in Hartford. And when he was designated to the AHL, it must have thrown him for a loop. And Nabalok said that his heart wasn't in it, which is why he kind of fumbled through his first North American season. He had six goals and nine assists in 39 AHL games in 2019-20. But the one thing to mention is that the transition from Russia to North America is an adjustment because of the rink size. It's much smaller here with less open ice compared to over there. Kraftsov being with the team, though, I think that it's really going to give him a a nice head start and uh, all the guys had nice things to say about him. But the one thing that I will think is interesting that Ryan Strom said today, he was talking about not having pressure on the young kids, including Kraftsov. You know, this is a team that's had a number one pick, a number two pick in the last two drafts. And they know what it's like to have a ton of pressure and expectations on these kids' shoulders. So I think the Rangers are trying to push that off of him a little bit. They're not going to throw him right into the lineup right away. They, I don't think he'll be in the lineup at least until Quinn and the coaching staff come out of COVID protocol because I know that the coaching staff wants to look at him and see what he can do and where he's up to date with the systems and such like that. But it's it's a very good news for, for the Rangers. When I think back of uh, when I first ended up in the Ranger dressing room with all the young players, I'm telling you, it really makes a difference. And of course, there was guys like Carol Vadney, Phil Esposito, Kenny Hodge. Those guys were there. But to have to be surrounded with younger players makes a difference when a young guy comes in because they will make you feel comfortable because there's a lot of things that you have in common, things that you like, things that you don't like. The fact that the Rangers are the youngest team in the NHL is going to help them. So he can just go out there and be himself and just go out and have fun. And, the, and quite a, flu, a few Russians in there, too. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> that makes a difference. Yeah. And so I, I think that the transition will be just fine. And really what kind of closes the gap between everything is your skill just going out there and just feeling like you belong and I think it's not going to be long before this kid is just going to go out there and he's just going to perform his magic once you do that and you get the respect from your teammates then everything else after that will just line up and just everything's going to be fine the whole question now surrounding Vitaly Kravtsov is where he's going to be inserted in the lineup and If you ask me, I think that he's going to start his first few games on the third line with the other kids. I think that's going to be his spot on the right wing there, especially now that Kako is up on the second line. Knobloch said that it wasn't really of discussion at all with the coaching staff in protocol right now. So that's also further indication that I don't think he's going to be in the lineup really in at least the next two, three games. Well, it's a balancing act for the coaches because you got to be thinking about players that are there, players that are playing well in the top six. All of a sudden, you remove them because you got the new kid in town. You got to be careful when you do that because you can, if you got a guy that's playing well and all of a sudden he feels like he's been demoted, that goes against their psyche. So you have to right. be careful. And there's, it's not a bad thing to let the kid play on the third line because being on the third line with the Rangers, it wouldn't be the worst thing. So let him go out there and prove and let him work and battle to be able to get in the top six. And if he proves it and you have a struggling top guy, then it's justified, you know, with the coaches. But let him play on the third line. Let him show his stuff. But he's a guy who's going to need to be able to have someone to get him the puck. I I think he's going to be so excited to just play that he's not necessarily going to be thinking, oh, I'm on the third line or I'm on the second line or on the fourth line. He's just going to want to play. He's going to be at Madison Square Garden. He's going to wear want to wear that Ranger jersey. So I don't think it's something that he's thinking about. He just wants to play. Do you guys believe four points back, 25 to go? I feel like there's a newfound belief in the Rangers. I mean, it only takes a couple games and some help from a couple of their teams, but 
maybe Molly, do you think there's you hear from the fans? Is there more belief amongst the fan base that maybe this team can make the playoffs? Well, fans then their opinions can turn on a dime. So granted that the Rangers have been outscoring their opponents 26 to 11 in the last six and 18 to six in the last four. I think that's enough to give even the most doubting of fans enough confidence to say that the Rangers can make the playoffs this season. But if you're going to ask me a, a Debbie Downer, I hate to say, I think that they really are in kind of a hole here, especially from that early start to the season. And it'll be really hard for them to climb out of it. But you never know. You never know what kind of tears a team can go on, especially if they have Vitaly Kravtsov come in the lineup and he absolutely lights it up. That's a total possibility. And then you got Panarin, Zabinijab, Kravtsov, and uh, Buchnevich, Kreider even, just making point after point after point. So I don't think that it'll be enough, but we shall see. Boo, this is melancholy <laughs> Molly. Let's hear riveting Ron tell us that they're going to make the playoffs. Well, when I when I look at um, their situation, a lot of games left. I believe they're a better team than the Flyers. I think they catch the Flyers, and it's going to start tonight. It's a question, can they beat, can they catch Boston? Unless the root caves in and Pittsburgh, Malkin goes down, Crosby goes down, Latang goes down, or goaltender goes down, Pittsburgh's going to be tough. So I think it's going to come down between the Rangers and Boston. Everyone's been talking about this. For whoever's playing Buffalo, and it's going to dep- it may come down to how many times you beat Buffalo. The Rangers have another four games. They have to beat Buffalo four times. I think, I think the uh, Bruins have more, though. They That's do have the more. And so it'd be sad to see that all these games are going to come down to whoever plays Buffalo and how many games you win against Buffalo. But I think they're good enough to keep up with Boston right now to keep up with them. It's going to come down to about four points. And so I'm going to believe that they are going to make the playoffs just like they did last season. Let's go. Yeah. Positivity. (laughs) Or reeling Buffalo. Igor is back. Tell your friends. Here come the blue shirts, baby. The final (laughs) run to the playoffs. Well, you talked about the fans, Molly. Let's hear from them. And you got mail next here on Up in the Blue Seats. You got mail. Hi, this is Terry. I'd like to know why Ron got his hair cut during this Stanley Cup 2014 run. Players are very superstitious, and when I saw he'd cut off his hair from what he's had since the 70s, I flipped out, and then the Rangers lost the Stanley Cup. So, Ron, I'm holding you responsible for them not winning the Cup in 2014. <laughs> Did Ron, she say it's her all your fault. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for bringing it up because I did hear about it. I did a makeover on myself. I wasn't even thinking hockey because I'm the least superstitious guy. I know a lot of players are superstitious. One of them was Phil Esposito. You couldn't even touch his stick in the dressing room. Never touch his stick ever. <laughs> and there's a lot of other guys. Anyways, I'm not a superstitious guy, but yes, I wouldn't change things up. I had a certain look during the games, and I came back with this new look, new clothing, new hair, and everyone was yelling at me like, what did I do? In fact, I'm looking better now than I did before. You know, I'm getting ready for a big celebration. And so, yeah, thanks for reminding me of that, but but I'm not going to take the blame for the Rangers losing. I don't know. It's all your fault. It really sounds like you messed up all their mojo there. <laughs> You've got mail. Hello, Ron and Molly. This is Danny from Rockland County, New York. Ron, I coached hockey against you, so I have two questions for you. One, do you have the coaching bug? And two, with the Rangers struggled at center on the dot, why haven't they reached out to someone like yourself? 
to help them win some draws? Well, those are two good questions. Yes, I remember because I was coaching youth hockey back then. In fact, it was my son, my son Noah. And that was kind of a help. It really helped me because I ended up coaching four years of professional hockey. And you really have to go down to the basics before you even teach at the professional level because small things make a difference. So I remember coaching in, in Daytona and my son. And uh, I didn't know if I had it in me to be able to coach and teach because, you know, I essentially learned how to play hockey on a pond on the lake, outdoor hockey. So it's not like I had a whole bunch of instruction to be able to remember, to be able to teach. So that was the beginning of my teaching. And then I ended up playing, uh, coaching four years in Jacksonville. And to answer uh, your second question on face-offs, you know, it's a funny thing when it comes to winning face-offs. Some guys have it and some don't. I don't know if it's a real teachable thing. You can have players identify certain things in other players so you can get them prepared to evaluate the guy that they're going against. What are his tendencies? Some guys like to go low. They put their hands low. They get more strength. Some guys are always pulling on their back and they go to their forehand. So if I was teaching guys for the New York Rangers, I would get them prepared, really knowing every guy that they're going against, what are their tendencies? Then after that, it's just a really bounce of the puck. But it's being able to just time it right, get good timing, and knowing what your opponent is about to do. Well, first off, shout out Rockland County. Absolutely love that area. But yes, onto the faceoffs. I think that Mika Zabinajad has been a lot better from the dots as of recently. So I think that if he can keep that up, that, that that's going to be a big help to them. But talking about faceoffs kind of brings us to the topic of Brett Howden, which I feel like is a, a, he's a very talked about player in the sense that, you know, does he belong in the bottom six? You know, what is he exactly bringing to the team? And I feel like Howden, you know, the Rangers value him for many different reasons that don't have anything to do with offense. He's a penalty killer that can take faceoffs. You know, he brings a certain skill to the bottom six and the PK that's of significant value to the team. And, you know, he, I think he's third on the team in faceoff percentage right now. And he, I think he's taken the third most amount of faceoffs as well. He's also a player that I feel like if he can carry the bottom sixes face-off percentages and and maybe learn a thing or two from Mika Zibanejad and the top six players that are taking the face-offs, that if it can filter throughout the lineup, it, it's just, I feel like it's a reps thing too. You know, the more you take them in this season in particular, you're playing, like you were saying about learning about players' tendencies, teams are playing each other eight times each. So I'm figuring by the end two, three games, everybody's going to know everything about everybody. So hopefully the Rangers are taking their notes and they're knowing what to expect when they come to the face-off circle. I'm, I'm going to say this right out of the top. He's inexpensive. So you need players that you can rely on, that third line, fourth line, that can play, that can kill penalties, and eventually take face-offs. But this is a young guy. He's a big kid. I see his uh, work ethic. He works hard, takes the body. Uh, he gets involved. And he's only going to get bigger, and he's only going to get stronger. So I would stick with him because those guys who are inexpensive, like if he was scoring 20, 25 goals, then you'd be looking at a bigger contract. So if he continues playing the way he is, and you don't have to pay him a whole lot, there's an upside to him two or three years from now. And so that's why I would not give up on this kid. You've got mail. Hey, this question is for Rondu Gay. My name is Lisa Varga. The first question is, what kind of hair products did you use? I'm just curious, what, what did you use for your hair? That's important to me. The other question, which is a little more legitimate, <laughs> is name your top three most memorable moments as a New York Ranger. Well, thank you, Lisa, for the question. Uh, I'm glad the hairspray question is coming from a woman. 
and not a man. In fact, I happen to have it right here. It's uh, Teresa May. It's a hairspray that keeps me. That is 100% very... not how you say it, but now I want to know what it actually is. <laughs> Teresa May. Yeah, it is yeah, it's French, Teresa I think. May. Uh, <laughs> Wait, I honestly, I wish I could rewind and listen to you how you pronounced it again because I didn't even it's know what Tresemme. you said. Tresemme is. Tresemme, okay. <laughs> See, I don't have hair. I wouldn't know this stuff. The guys on this podcast, it's Tresemme. Tresemme. All right. Yeah. Well, as you know, I speak French, so I see it in the French way. But yeah, I, I use a spray that's not too hard, not too stiff. It keeps my hair in place, especially when I'm going out there 100 miles an hour. I use less spray now because my hair is shorter. But thanks for the question. And as far as my memories in New York, it's probably the year that I scored 40 goals. I didn't know what to expect out of myself. Well, I had an idea that I could be a good player in the NHL, but to reach the 40-goal plateau, which I had done in major junior hockey. I didn't know if I could do it because of the level of play. But I ended up doing that, and I was playing with Mark Pavlich. Herb Brooks was the coach. So that was a fun year. Scoring 40 goals was special to me, getting a point a game. And so I kind of felt like I reached something that I wanted to reach. And the other um, memory is because we played the Islanders so much, we wanted to beat them so much, was the year that we beat them going into the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, we beat them in six games. That series, that whole series was phenomenal. A lot of it had to do with the support we got from the Ranger fans. Every time we stepped on the ice in warm-up, it was chilling. If you weren't awake to play in that kind of game, and if you weren't motivated, then you weren't made to play hockey in Madison Square Garden. That was the best. That's the most exciting I've seen, you know, being in um, at the Garden wearing number 10 and being a New York Ranger. A third would be something that I will never forget. I say it not as a something that made me happy, but was initiation. It was in my first year. It was just before Christmas, and I think I've talked about it before. They initiated me. They shaved me head to toe. And so that's something that I will never forget. It kind of changed me in a way. My hair was so important to me, and all of a sudden, I had to go play hockey, chew gum, and walk at the same time. I didn't know if I was going to play hockey with short hair, but it all worked out. So that's something that I'll never forget, going back at the garden with no hair. An honorable mention, I would imagine, is Cher and Farrah Fawcett, but below those top three, maybe? Well, I was sticking to things on the ice, <laughs> Jake. <laughs> I'm feeling like chopped liver over here. I mean, obviously, nobody wants to know about my hair. I mean, I just dyed it blonde a couple years ago. You do have nice hair, Molly. About that? You do have nice hair. Can we have some guys on here call and, and ask me about my haircut, please? <laughs> First time, long time, George from Long Island. Uh, Molly, what hair product do you use? I'll hang up and oh, listen. No, thank you so much for the question. I mean, Ron gets two in one sitting. So, I mean. <laughs> uh, it's Ron Duguay week. <laughs> All right, we got one more. Let's see if this one's about more hair products. Here we go. You've got mail. Hi, guys. Yeah, it's uh, Robert Stock from Connecticut. The last couple of years, the scores in the games have been pretty low. Ken Dryden, a Hall of Fame goalie I've read a couple of months ago, really says that the uh, the net should be made a little bit bigger and the goalposts expanded. Ron, uh, what's your feeling about that? Do you think that would make the game a little bit more exciting since the goalies are so big, their pads are so big, the average size of a goalie is probably 23, 20 to 30% bigger than they were even uh, 10 years ago. Second question uh, for either Molly or Larry, do you think Kratzoff is really going to be able to step in and make any sort of uh, difference right now? I mean, look what happened to Lafreniere. Look at what happened to Capo, Kako. It takes these guys, you know, it seems like two to three years to really 
get their stride. And is it unfair to really put him in there now and to think he's going to make a difference? Well, I'm so happy. I, I was getting a little worried there. I was about to screw off and, and exit out of the old thing and just let Ron take it from here. But Ron, you, you had the first question, so you go ahead and you answer first. Well, let me just say, I recognize the voice and I recognize the name. His name is Robert Stock. And if it's the same Robert Stock, it's one of the co-founders of Robert Graham Clothing. So, <laughs> hi, Robert. I know he's a big fan. So I'm glad he called because he listens and wa- he listens to our show. And so, yeah, Robert Graham, I don't know if you know, but all that clothing I would wear when I work for MSG. So uh, he's a real student of the game. And so, okay, the question is on the goaltending. You know what? It'd be worth taking a look at. Normally, when the NHL wants to make a look at a change, they do it at the minor league level, possibly uh, the East Coast League or the American Hockey League. And it would be worth a look. Bigger nets, because the goaltenders are so big now. I mean, if you're not 6'5 or 6'6, they don't even look at you anymore, plus all the gear. So there's not much room. Although the goalie technique is different, they're down. They're always down, right? And so there is upstairs, and they're still scoring goals. But it would be interesting to see the nets a little bit bigger. Molly, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think you definitely have a better opinion on it than I do having played. But I think that what's interesting to me about goaltending, at least, is that there are different sized goalies. Obviously, everybody's different sizes and weights. But I feel like that's part of the recruiting game. That's part of the drafting game is, you know, looking at players that are bigger, that are smaller, that are quicker, or, you know, everybody's body type and strengths give them different assets and goal. So I think that's a part of the game, but is it something that could be interesting to try? Of course. I think that the game is always evolving and that it's maybe something to look into, but I mean, I feel like you have, have the better outlook on that than I would. But um, as far as the second part of the question, which I was so honored to receive, Kravtsov is an offensively gifted player. He has playmaking abilities, which is something that is in in demand on this Rangers team. There are only really a few that are very creative and clever on the ice. And and he was a star in the KHL this season. It felt like every time I logged onto Twitter, I was watching some highlight reel goal from him. And in clutch moments of the game as well, which is also a great sign. But you're right, Robert, in the sense that it takes a while for these kids to get acclimated to the game. I mean, there are so many players on this Rangers teams that are 19, 20, 21 years old, 22, 23, and they're young and they need time to get comfortable, to get a feel for the pace of the game, playing against the players that they've been idolizing their entire lives. These kids need a moment to just kind of settle in. And, and the same will go for Vitaly Kravtsov as well. So I don't, we talk about it later in the show. I don't think that they'll throw him right into the game right away because they want him to get up to speed with the systems and get acclimated in general. So I think it'll it won't be until Quinn and his coaching staff comes back and they get to evaluate him and such. But I think the sooner the better, because you don't want him to think about it too much. And uh, once he'll get on the ice, you know, the sooner rather than later, he'll be able to start getting comfortable and and start building a repertoire in the league. We'll see about that. Thanks for the voicemail. Some good ones, some bizarre ones, but some good ones as well. (laughs) You can call in at 781-691-691. 0128. Your deadline is usually around 3 p.m. on Wednesday. So get your voicemails in before then. All right, let's get back to all out hockey talk as Larry Brooks joins the show next, right here on Up in the Blue Seats.
Joining us next is our New York Post Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer, Larry Brooks. Follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy and read his stories in the Post and at NYPost.com. Larry, after Monday's win over the Sabres, I asked Chris Knobloch what he's seeing from the offense right now, which has been scoring every which way recently. And he pointed to the resurgence of Mika Zibanejad. I was wondering if you agree if all their recent success can be credited to Zibanejad getting back to his old ways. They're a different team when Zibanejad and Panarin are at the top of their games. They, they present a dynamic that very few teams in the league can match. When these two guys are going, they present two of maybe the top 8, 10, 12 players in the league. I think Panarin is one of the best three, four, five, and And I think when, when Zibanejad's at the top of his game, he's right there with him. So you can throw those two guys out there on separate lines, and they just present all sorts of issues for opposing teams trying to match up against them. And I, and I do. I, I think that, yeah, I, I agree. I think I think that's it. I, I think what they need to do now to become a little bit more potent is, is figure out the power play. I know it was, it was decent the other night, but it should be a little bit better than that, and especially with those two guys clicking. Larry, I want to revisit your answer about Ryan Strome, because we had talked about him last week and how well he's playing, and he's looking like a very solid second-line centerman. You praised him in a lot of different ways, and I agree with you. He's a first former first-rounder, fifth overall, so I guess it was expected. It was just a matter of time if he'd gotten quality ice time. Having said that, one of the things you said that I would have liked to have followed up with a backup question is – You said it might be a good idea for the Rangers because he's playing well. There might be some good value into trading him at the trade deadline, possibly thinking of maybe giving Heedle more ice time. So if he's playing so well, why possibly trade him and not keep him? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure I have a good answer for it. The reason would be is if if, if they don't believe that Ryan Strom is a long-term answer. You know, Strom has one year left on his deal after this one. And if they don't foresee giving him the kind of contract he would probably be in line for after the next one, let's let's say he has a pretty good year next year too, then you're looking at him uh, coming up on unrestricted free agency and maybe six and a half million, six, six and a half, somewhere in there. Is that an investment the Rangers are going to be comfortable making in, in two years? Now, you know, we're jumping way ahead here. But... The other side is, and I and I and I was thinking about this, and I and I have been thinking about this, is that unless they get a, a very specific piece back for Ryan Strom, and to me that would be either a power center, and why would a team give up a power center in exchange for Ryan Strom, or a top six power winger, and why would a team give up a winger for Ryan Strom either? So I guess my answer is, I don't think they're going to look to trade Ryan Strom, but I, I think if a team came at them with an asset that the Rangers lack, maybe they would take a look at it. But then again, they lack centers. So it, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Ryan Strom has, has been a pretty good player for them this year. And beyond his point totals, and I think you mentioned last week that he's doing it without, uh, you know, he had done a lot of it without Panarin this year. But, you know, the other night they moved Kako up to his line and immediately Kako scored. And when did Chris Kreider really get going this year? It's when Chris Kreider started playing with Ryan Strom and they were flipping, you know, they were flipping things up. And so Strom has been a very viable player. And I think it's fair for you to ask me why in the world they would trade Ryan Strom. And I think it's fair for me to say, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, that's why I like you always, you're honest about it. If you're not, 
not sure, you're not sure. But I kind of thought, you know what, I'm not sure about this. So I had to ask him. I had to revisit that. Yeah, no, you know, the only thing is, and not with only Strom, it's just so much of it is predicated on the cap. You know, how much are they going to be able to pay, in this case, Ryan Strom, but it, but it applies to anybody when their contract comes up and they're looking at unrestricted free agency, you know, does that player fit in there? And if not, they try and get the jump on it a year ahead of time because a player generally has a little more value when he's got two playoff runs in him as opposing to one as a rental. So so honestly, the contract has a lot to do with not only with Ryan Strom's situation, but just about every player in the league. You take a look at it and say, okay, well, where does he fit under the cap when he comes up on free agency? So that's that's the other consideration. So going into tonight's game against the Flyers, after last game, what should we expect in tonight? Because there's a lot of anticipation that this could be a different Flyer team that's going to be angry going against the Rangers. What should we expect in tonight's game? Well, you know, the Flyers have, and I think this probably was unforeseen. I understand they lost lost Matt Niskanen over the summer. But, I mean, let's face it. You know, we're not talking about Brian Leach suddenly leaving the team either. But the Flyers are last in the league in save percent. And they're next to last in the league in five-on-five save percentage. And I don't think this is an issue they ever thought they were going to have to confront. Their goaltending has been bad. So whether they're a different team or not, whether they're an angry team because of last Wednesday, I assume... I, I assume there's some motivation there, but the goaltender is going to have to stop the puck. And you go into every game now with the Flyers and you don't know what you're getting from their goaltending. You know, they're only two points ahead of the Rangers. If the, if the Rangers, you know, win tonight's game, they're tied. And uh, so I, I think the Flyers have an awful lot of work to do. I, I think they've been a, one of the most disappointing teams in the league this year. And I think their goaltending is, is the root cause of it. Well, you're talking to someone who had Carter Hart winning the Vesna, so joke's on me, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, with Vitaly Kravtsov coming into the picture, he's no doubt a top six kind of player, but the Rangers are coming out of their ears with players to plug into the top six. So I'm curious what you think they'll do with him, where they'll insert him into the lineup when he's ready yeah there's a log jam it's a log jam up top and it's a log jam on the bottom six too because if and when everyone's healthy they're going to have three extra forwards i remember i was thinking of this back in 2005 when the yankees had all of these starting pitchers in spring training i remember and i was doing actually some baseball back in spring training then and the big question was how are they going to fit all these pitchers into the rotation what were they going to do with this guy they had gotten Jarrett right that year they had all these pitchers and there were all these questions well how are you going to fit this guy in how are you going to fit this guy in and they had so many injuries the first half of the season that year they had to actually go out and trade for two more so when when you're talking about lineups and fitting guys in oh you always have to take into consideration that there's a chance that the question resolves itself through injuries or this year COVID because you just never know. If they're all healthy though, they've got 15 forwards. There are going to be decisions every night from the coaching staff, who's in and who's out. I don't see Kravtsov, I don't see the value in having Kravtsov on a fourth line. I think when he goes in, chances are he goes in on the third on the third line. Now, I had written a couple of weeks ago that I thought the best place for him was with Panarin because I thought they would be able to read off each other. I think there's probably a, a bit of a comfort zone there, or there would be a bit of a comfort zone there for Kravtsov, and I think that's still a possibility. But if Kako is playing well with Panarin, they are not going to move Kako down. But, you know, we probably have a couple of games. I don't know that they're going to throw Kravtsov in even on Saturday. 
He's, he's not going to play um, in the first one against the Flyers. We'll see. Maybe he will play Saturday. I would think that he would start out on the third line with Heedle and Lafreniere. And, and, and again, things, you know, the dynamics change from game to game. But again, I, I think I think you're looking at him either playing with Strom or with Heedle, and that would mean, you know, that would be depending upon what they do with Kako. Well, it's always a pleasure, Larry. We'll chat again next week. Thanks, Molly. Our special guest this week is best remembered for his heroics in the 1970-71 Stanley Cup semifinals when he scored two overtime goals for the Rangers in the eventual series loss to the Blackhawks. He played in, in the NHL for 14 years with the Maple Leafs, Red Wings, and Kings, as well as the Blue Shirts. He's been a part-time radio color commentator for the Rangers in the past as well, and the team could really use a guy like him right now considering he was one of the greatest face-off players of his generation. Please welcome Pete Stemkowski. Pete, the Rangers currently own the worst face-off percentage in the league. <laughs> Can you lace up the skates and get back out there to help them? First of all, thank you for the flattering introduction. I mean, uh, <laughs> boy, I'll tell you, if my ex-wives ever hear something like that, they'll say, boy, that's not the guy I know or left. So <laughs> thank you so much. But hey, listen, you know, I, you know, as far as face-offs are concerned, I mean, you know, I I, I sometimes talk to the kids down here. We got a tier three junior team here. And, you know, the big, and listen, Ron Dugay, you know, the guy at the opposite there, he was no slouch either. I mean, this guy was pretty good. As far as I concerned, right handed guy. And, though, you know, as a left handed guy, they were, they were tough. The right hand, me to go against the right. I always say the toughest guy when I played to, to take face off against was Eddie Westfall. He was the toughest guy. But as far as face offs are concerned, it's anticipation. You got to be ready when that puck is dropped. You got to be ready. A split second, you know, can decide whether you win or lose it. But you're right. That's important. You win the draw. You win possession. You're in possession. You're on offense. So yeah, face offs are very important. No question about it. You touched on it a little bit there, but in all seriousness, what are you seeing from the Rangers' presence at the dots? And- and what do you think needs to be done to fix that? Molly, when you look at the schedule, you're playing 56 games in, what, 113 days? So even do the math, that's almost two games. You know, I mean, every second day you're playing a hockey game. And it's unfortunate, but it's a little bit of a silver lining. Where, you know, and I hate to say this, but when the COVID kicks in, you sometimes get a little extra time here. You know, now with Boston going down, and then Philly has had it, and Devils have had it. So anybody who's asked to play against them has got that extra time. But, you know, so the beginning of the season was, you know, Mika Zibanejad went down and there's no question that, you know, the COVID took quite a bit out of him. I mean, he was even benched for a period then. And, and of course, uh, Panarin had the, that situation in Russia that took several weeks for him to clear up. And then, you know, you, you look at your goalkeeping situation. I mean, you know, we, we, we said it's going to be good. It's going to be good. But, you know, look at Georgi and Shesterkin. I mean, between them, they have less than 100 games in the National Hockey League. So you're putting a lot of pressure on those two guys. And then you had that Tony D'Angelo uh, in, insider thing happen. So a lot of turmoil going this way, pulling in each direction. But you know, I'll tell you guys, right now everybody's on, everybody's on the same page. What's the advantage? Got nine points in four games. I think the power play was two for three against Buffalo. I think they scored power play goals in the last four games. Goalkeeping is starting to get a little steady. Kreider, to me, Chris Kreider should be the captain of that hockey team. I mean, he's playing outstanding. He's doing things that I always say: power forwards got to go wide, make forwards chase you, go around you, and get in front of the net when you're. Two 
220 pounds, you know, you're going to be good in the corners, but you got to get in front of that. He's got eight power play goals. So as far as I'm concerned, things are starting to come together. They're uh, four points out of a playoff spot. So keep it going. And I like what I'm seeing the last couple of games. Or so I really am. Pete, I'm just going to add about taking faceoffs because I've taken many. And the one guy I've taken many against was Brian Trottier especially in your defensive zone. And so I agree what you're saying. Timing is really important on being able to touch the pucks, pull the puck, push it. But a lot of it is going in there and knowing who you're going against, knowing their tendencies. Sometimes you may do something completely different than what you would normally do, whether you're going to your forehand, your backhand, just having a kind of a schedule on all the centermen that you go against and just kind of getting ready before the game. A lot of his preparation and a lot of his also, it's a bounce, right? Good bounces, bad bounces. So, but there's a great importance on winning the faceoff. You win faceoff, you win control of the puck, and that's a big part of the game. So, but I want to move beyond that. Uh, someone who's been in the news lately that everyone's been talking about is Adam Fox, his play. He's uh, a Long Island, Long Island kid, which I know you, uh, you live there. His parents are there. When you look at Adam Fox, and is there any resemblance to young Brian Leach to you? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think Adam, if you asked him that question, I'd say, ho, 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 let's slow down a little bit. You know, I haven't been in the league. I haven't won a Stanley Cup yet. But, you know, I mean, Jericho, Long Island, his folks are able to come to the games. And, you know, he's a great offensive defenseman. And, you know, it's even stated now he's the quarterback on the power play. So in the last couple of years, somebody coming out of college, you know, these college kids come in, there's a lot of adjustments to make. These guys are big, they're strong, they make millions of dollars, a lot different than the guys, you know, down in when he was in Harvard, Harvard playing against those college kids. So I really got to give him credit. He moves well, he carries the puck well. And I think, you know, Ronnie, I think the thing that's really improved in his game and it has to, for all these youngsters that come in, they have to work on their defensive game. Now, he's slated. He is a defenseman. So, And I think that's one of the problems that the Rangers have had here in the last couple of years or so. They have major problems in their own zone. And when you spend a lot of time back there, it's going to end up the back of your net. So, you know, not only is Adam a force on offense, I think, you know, I think he's really improved his defensive game, too. So, you know, that's, that's a, a big plus for the youngster here from Long Island. Being a centerman, when you're looking at the Rangers moving forward, and being a team that can compete and possibly make the playoffs. At the trade deadline, do you see the Rangers possibly doing something? Uh, when you look at what might be a weakness for the Rangers, could that be another centerman? you got to start looking around. Uh, who's going to be out of it? You know, I mean, that's you know, uh, what's Buffalo? Is Buffalo going to have a, you know, a full-scale sale there? I mean, they've been talking Jack Eichel, Jack Eichel, but you know, what's Buffalo going to want for him? What is this contract? How is that structured? How is that going to fill into the salary cap? You know, the big, I, I I don't know, Taylor Hall, I should say, can he play center? Uh, what has happened to him in the last two or three years? I mean, a couple of years ago, he won the, he was the most valuable player in the National Hockey League. Now he's, what's he got, I don't know, one, two goals this year? So, you know, you're going to have to look at some of these teams that are that are going to be sellers at the end. And you got to have three and four solid lines. you got to have depth on this team. And yeah, I would think that you probably might be looking for a center when the training deadline here, you know, ends up in the April. But, uh, you know, what's available and what you got to get up, give up. That's why those general managers and those, uh, that's why they get they paid the big bucks to figure that all out. But there's no question, I agree with you, they could use a good, solid third-line center, and I'm sure that they're, you know, they're looking around every day. And uh, maybe they'll find one. Who knows? Pete, you understand the importance of having good leadership in the dressing room, good captains. 
when you look at the New York Ranger team, that's the one thing that, you know, when fans talk about the team, they feel like there's missing a little bit of character from a lead guy, a captain that stands out. Is there one guy that you believe stands out more than anyone else that you should put the C on the jersey and just let him go and let him be that captain? You know, you got me. I'm an old school guy. And, you know, I'm sure the people that are watching this realize, hey, you know, I, I played in the 70s. And, you know, captains were a guy that had a thing on his sweater. And I used to kid, you know, guys like Big Hatfield and, and the captain, Bobby Nevin. And we used to say, you know, Bobby, you're the captain for two reasons. You know, you make up the football pools and you collect the money for the presents for the coaches at, at Christmas time. So we used to kid, <laughs> that's what the captains were for, you know. So what is a captain? I mean, what does he do? I mean, to me, he's, he's kind of that, that stepping stone between the players and the coaches. If the coaches have something that, or the players have something they're unhappy about, you go to the captain. The captain goes to the coach and say, look, at some of the guys are on blah, blah, blah. Why are we leaving tomorrow morning? Why aren't we staying overnight? Why this? Why that? Why that? And then, then he's, you know, and as far as the Rangers are concerned, I've been saying this almost from the beginning of the year. I think Chris Kreider, I think he should be the captain of this team. I mean, what has he done? He's in his, what, mid, mid-20s? He's scoring goals. He got a new contract. It looks like he's going to be here for a while. And I think that, you know, people on that Ranger team really look up and respect him. So if I had to pick a, a captain right now for the New York Rangers, I would like to probably put it on the sweater of Chris Kreider. Really, that's the guy I like. Pete, it's Jake here. Your last season with the Rangers was 76-77. Some guy that rhymes with Pon Boubet replaced you. That would be Ron Duguay in 77-78. Was, was he a suitable replacement for you, Pete? Well, I, you know, I don't know. Who do you think was better looking, him or me? I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, I was the, I had the nose, you know, I had the nose, the prominent nose. Uh, he had the hair. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think the girls chased after him a little bit more than they chased after me. And, you know, he was a city guy. Ron Duque was a city guy. He was a Studio 54 guy. I mean, I think it's well documented some of those, uh, you know, those pretty little movie stars and singers that used to, hey, Ronnie, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't want to tell stories, but I know there was some on his answering machine when he got home there were some calls from some pretty famous people. So listen, he did it right. He played hard. When he got on the ice, Ron Dugay played it the way he had to, gave it 100%. And then, you know, he had a little fun off the ice. And, you know, I think that's the difference, guys, between when we played and the guys of today. I think we had more fun. I, I really do. I, I remember on Monday nights when I was with the Rangers, we'd go to a place called Il Vagabondo on 2nd Avenue between 1st and 2nd. I know Ronnie was there. You know, we'd get a bottle of wine. You know, we wouldn't go crazy. We'd play bocce ball. And who would show up? Joe Nate. Mr. Fredrickson, Rod Gilbert. We, Monday, Monday in those days was a non-sports night where everybody had their day off. And we used to get together. And we, you know, four different sports, get together, have a few laughs. Now, you know, these guys make so much money. You know, you can't go to practice. You know, oh, God, that guy had a couple of drinks last day. You know, that, that doesn't happen today. I mean, back then, we try to cover from each other. We worked hard. We played hard. And I think that, you know, the amount of money uh, that's involved in there's a lot more seriousness, you know, to this game today. And I, I'm just not sure. I don't see what's happening behind the scenes, but I don't know that Ronnie would know it or not, but I don't think these guys today have as much fun as we used to. Ron has mentioned El Vag- Vagabondo many times last Vagabundo, season. Yes. Tonight they had, they had no menu, no menu, no menu. I think it may have reopened, Ronnie. They were closed for the longest time. They, they had the best chicken of all the team. My God. And the guys. In- Ron's eyes just lit up when you said it's reopened. Do they have like the best chicken parm in America? Like what's they have good white wine, chicken parm. What's so good about El Vagabondo? Well, first of all, there was no menu. Every the waiter would come over and tell you what he had. Tonight, we have a chicken parmesan, a vienna parmesan, spaghetti meatballs. We have white steak, and we have. He'd say, "What kind of wine you want? Red or white?" I didn't know what what year or what country it was from. He picked it 
for you. And when the bill came, you know, we all made pretty good bucks. Nobody argued about with the price, but the food was good. You sat down there and there was other famous movie stars used to come in there and Dave. In fact, the big story that I can tell you about Il Vagabondo, it was 50 years ago that Jill Villamere and Eddie Jockman won the Vezina Trophy. We had our celebration party. Jill and Eddie took us to Il Vagabondo upstairs and that's we were treated to a very nice uh, dinner and a few drinks and that was the celebration for that uh, that was in a trophy 50 years ago with uh, Eddie and uh, Gilles Villeneuve. So we went there a lot. I'm always fascinated, guys, by the 70s and 80s. And I always bring up Studio 54 to guys. Like, the se- you were really in the 70s, Pete. You were a ranger from exactly 1970 to 77. So you got the full disco shoes, afros. Well, yeah, but guys, I lived in Long Island. You know, oh, I lived in Long okay. Island. Uh, you know, it was the guys like Joe Bear and Bob Nevin, Ron Duguay. These are the guys who lived in the city. You know, and uh, uh, I always remember the one of the funniest stories – I don't know how much time we have here, but uh, Derek Sanderson lived in the city, and so did uh, Rod Gilbert. They both lived in the city, and they would they would carpool it, you know, to practice here in Long Beach. They, you know, it was you know an hour ride, but you know why take two cars? We'll just we'll you know we'll carpool it. So <laughs> I remember this this one time. I guess Rod in the city, you know, you can't double park too long. You you pull in front of a guy's house, you honk the horn. You better be ready, or there's going to be ten cars behind you honking the horns. So I guess uh, Rod went to pick up Derek Sanderson honking the horn, and uh, there was no Derek Sanderson. So Rod just took off and came into Long Beach. And half hour later, uh, here comes Derek Sanderson with a little short guy trailing him, trailing him, trailing him. I guess he ended up taking a cab. <laughs> so Derek Sanderson's walking around us in the locker room. Hey, guys, you know, I don't have much cash on me. Anybody, can we get $100 here? I got to pay the cab driver behind me. And all of us in the room are saying, hey, Derek, well, you know, payday's next week. I don't have anything now. So this poor cab driver is following Derek from stall to stall, looking to get 10 here, 20 here to pay the cab driver. So we were breaking his chops. That, that That's part of the fun that we used to have in those old days. And, you know, like I said, I'm not sure they have that, that kind of fun that, that we had back then. Well, thanks so much for taking the time, Pete. It was great to talk some hockey with you. And we hope to have you back on in the future. You too. And like, listen, let's do something. Let's win some games. Let's get in the playoffs. I'm, you know, really behind this team. And uh, if they can get healthy and uh, let's get everything going in, in gear. We got what, 30 some plus games to go and get some points. Let's get ourselves in the playoffs. That's a wrap for episode 49, the Greg Moore edition of Up in the Blue Seats, our Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Do us a huge favor and give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. For number 10, Ron Duguay, I'm Molly Walker. We are back in your eardrums next Thursday. Thanks for all your support this season. Talk to you next week.